Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Uh, I want to preach tonight and teach uh, in this Bible study time on the subject of Paul's declaration of the gospel. Paul's declaration of the gospel. A lot of times today the gospel is used as an adjective to describe other things and there's a place for that. We should have a life that's centered all around the gospel in our finances and our marriage and all of these things. But I think it's very important as a church that we remember the gospel really is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want to we never forget to be proclaiming that to friends and neighbors and to our community. And what I'd like to do tonight is just come to uh, Paul's second missionary journey. We're going to read some scriptures and, uh, and really just learn how he declared the gospel and how God blessed that uh, ministry and how we might be more involved in declaring the gospel ourselves. So let's read tonight 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. By the way, these are wonderful words from a man of God talking about his ministry with them. Great words for parents. I saw a pastor series on toxic leadership and, and uh, some of the dangers you see in the study of Saul's life. But Paul's describing ministry the way it should happen. And he's saying, we loved you. We were gentle among you. Uh, as a nurse cherisheth her children. Uh, he says, we were affectionately desirous of you. He had a godly love for this congregation at Thessalonica. And he says to them in verse 8, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. In other words, his whole heart was in this ministry. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. You'll recall he was a tent maker by trade also. He said, we preached unto you the gospel of God. We preached unto you the gospel of God of God. Let's learn tonight about the power of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful time to have Bible study on a Tuesday night. We do pray for Pastor and Tiffany and their children, that you just give them some great memories, some refreshing time. Thank you for the Liberty Baptist Church. Thank you for their encouragement to so many over the years, their friendship and support for West Coast Baptist College and for missions projects around the world. Continue to build this church, Lord, and bless it and bless this time tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the Scriptures are a continual declaration of the purpose of God in redemption. When you really look at it from Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Jesus Christ, and every book points to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Whether it's in Genesis where we see the slaying of a lamb for the covering of Adam and Eve, uh, the shedding of the blood, Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah, all the way until the book of the Revelation, when we hear of the coming of our Lord with His vesture dipped in blood uh, at the great uh, day of the Lord and at the time uh, of His coming, all through the Scripture, a declaration of Christ. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, Isaiah said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound. The Bible tells us in Luke 4, after the Lord's 40 days of temptation, 
that he walked into the synagogue and he quoted that same verse, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, uh, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Paul the Apostle, in describing his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1, said it this way, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And he went on to define the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, John the Apostle wrote, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible is a declaration of God's redemptive plan for mankind. It is a declaration of the gospel. Now, a declaration can be a powerful thing. Uh, sometimes people declare their love for someone else, and uh, they make that declaration. I remember telling my wife uh, that I loved her when Brother Doug McMains and I were Bible college students together years ago, and, and I remember taking Terry on a date and uh, getting up the courage there uh, at Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College to look her in the eye and say, I love you. Man, I prayed and practiced for that. I remember finally declaring to her my love. I said, Terry, I just want you to know that I love you, and she just stared at me, <laughs> didn't say a word. <laughs> And I told her I loved her several times more before she reciprocated. But in my heart, that was a powerful declaration. When you say to someone that you love them, some people declare their love. Uh, some people uh, declare their candidacy. That can be scary or that can be encouraging, depending upon the person. Some people declare bankruptcy. That has ramifications in their life for years to come. Uh, governments can declare a state of war or a state of emergency. And, and again, that has a lot of different ramifications as well. And yet there is nothing more powerful than the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is something mighty powerful about declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something life-changing about it, more than health declarations, more than national declarations. When someone has the gospel and receives it, their entire life is changed. And we all know, what doth it profit a man if he gain, uh, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The declaration of the gospel is the reason for the existence of the Liberty Baptist Church. That's why we're here, to get the gospel out. And yet sometimes we struggle. We struggle for the words. We miss the moments. A vast majority of folks in various different studies, a vast majority of Christians would say, I believe that it is my responsibility to share the gospel. They truly believe that. And yet, in those same studies, only about 3 to 5 percent of Christianity, 3 to 5 percent of Christians have ever personally shared the gospel with another person. We all know this is an important part of the Christian life, and yet we often struggle to share the gospel. And so tonight I want to take this Bible study time and just survey one of the brief moments of Paul's missionary journey and learn some lessons about how to be more effective in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church at Thessalonica was started on Paul's second missionary journey, and uh, I was here not long ago, and pastor shared a map of the uh, uh, missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. I have the advantage of sharing it on this awesome new screen. How many of you like these new screens? These are awesome toys, right? Uh, and, and fabulous. In fact, Pastor, when he was sharing it, when I was here on vacation, some of you might remember, seemed like there was something over it. You couldn't really see uh, what he was trying to show you. So tonight we have the advantage of this great screen. But if you follow the missionary journey, come on up to the northwest there of the agency, and you'll see Philippi. Remember that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. And then you'll see Thessalonica. And many scholars say that the church at Thessalonica was a model church of the first century. In fact, in verse number one, or, or chapter number one, the Bible says that from that church sounded out the Word of God throughout Asia. And the significance of this city is, is, uh, is manifold in its location. 
Uh, it was uh, located uh, in a very significant part of the world uh, on the Aegean Highway between Rome and Constantinople. Uh, there would be much travel on this Roman road. If you've ever been over to Rome and seen some of those ancient roads, they're quite amazing, and the Romans were known for developing these roads. And so from that city of Thessalonica, so many other people were going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, sometimes God may bring someone here from the Marines or someone in tech, and they're just here for six months or a year, but God brings them for a purpose so that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the uh, Roman aqueduct was quite advanced there uh, in Thessalonica. Uh, it's amazing what the Romans did with water and the transport of water, and Thessalonica would have been somewhat advanced of a city when the Apostle Paul arrived there. Uh, they had the arch of the Emperor Galerius, uh, which was uh, something that was also significant uh, in its architecture. On the next slide, fellas, and this would have been a part of that Ignatian Highway where folks on their way, perhaps over towards modern-day Turkey, would have traveled through this. And so when Paul arrived, he sees a, a sophisticated city, an advanced city, but it was a pagan city. Uh, the temple of Apollo and Zeus and other such places of worship were, uh, were tremendously pagan and, uh, and uh, very immoral in their way of worship. And so it was in that type of a culture that this model church was planted and that a great testimony was raised up. And I don't know about you, sometimes our culture can be discouraging. We see the ad advances always of the LBGTQ movement and they're threatening kids in June to come out and be proud and come out with all of their declaration of their uh, lifestyle and so forth. And we see the rampant immorality in America. And sometimes we might think, you know, I better not witness because nobody wants to hear it and this country is, is on its way down and so forth. But when we go back to the first century, we're reminded that even in these pagan strongholds, the gospel made a difference, and God raised up mighty churches, and that's what we ought to pray for our church even today. Now, we, we see Paul's ministry in Thessalonica back in the book of Acts chapter 17. I know you've been going through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, but let's just go back to get a little context. I like to get the context of a message, especially in a Bible study time. And notice Acts 17 and verse 1, what it says. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, I love that phrase, he was very consistent in soul winning. As his manner was, he went in unto them, and three days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Notice this verse 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. In other words, he's the Messiah, uh, he's the anointed one, and he's opening and alleging, he's using Old Testament scriptures, he is proving to them that Jesus is the Christ. And verse 4 says, And some of them that believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. Thank the Lord, the word of God was preached, and there were people who believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he's kind of reminding them. He's kind of saying, remember how I came in and went to the synagogue? Remember when you got saved? Remember how you heard the gospel? Remember, it was all about the gospel. It was all about soul winning. It was all about Jesus. And might I remind you that sometimes churches need to get back to that basic. I'm a student of churches of different kinds, especially those that have been true to the word. I like to study their origins, their history. And I can tell you that at the beginning of every great church that we would admire, there is a man and a woman and a few people who are totally committed to getting the gospel into a community. And God blesses the sincerity and the purity of those hearts. And sometimes we have to come back to that first love. Well, when we look at 1 Thessalonians and we study Paul's ministry there at Thessalonica, there are some amazing lessons that we can learn for our lives right now, not just for the church, but for our lives individually. And I want you to learn three main lessons with me tonight, Lord willing, and uh, hopefully we'll take some of this into our lives in the days to come. But I want you to notice, first of all, as you look at Paul's ministry here, a very important lesson, and that is this. You can find joy in difficulty. You can find joy in difficulty. Now, some might say, wait a minute, I thought we we're talking about getting the gospel out. I am. But I know that some of you have tried before and it didn't go so well. It was difficult. Somebody didn't respond well. You tried to witness to a relative. They told you to, uh, you know, jump off a ledge. 
And, and what we know about ministry, those of us who have been saved a while, is that it's not always idealistic. It's not always people saying, what must I do to be saved? Sometimes it's difficult to stay in the trenches and to be a consistent witness for Jesus Christ. And sometimes uh, people can be cruel in the process, especially in America's culture today. So I want you to notice in Paul's life what the Bible says in verse 2, very significant phrase. It says, even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, we were bold in our God to speak the gospel of God with much contention. Now, when Paul gives his testimony, he says, now, when we came into Thessalonica, we were coming right off the heels of a very bad experience. Now, I meet people all the time who've had a bad experience in Christianity. They blog about it. They write about it. They complain about it. I got burned at this church. This guy was this. This guy ran off with the money. All of this stuff. And those are all terrible things. I'm not making light of those things. But sadly, most people who've had a bad, difficult experience want to take that as their reason to no longer be faithful. Can I get an amen on that? Listen. God does not want us to get bitter. He wants us to get better. Anybody whose life's goal is to get you to rehearse every traumatic situation, they want to keep you imprisoned there and captive as their audience. The true friend of your life is the one who helps you to find what this church's name is all about, the liberty that you can find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look at this, Paul said, I've had some bad experiences. He, they had suffered greatly at Philippi. Remember I said, keep note of Philippi? You see, before he got to Thessalonica, he was at Philippi. You remember what happened there? Acts 16, 22, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commended to beating them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast him into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, whom having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now you remember that story? Paul and Silas, they're just doing the, the thing that God told them to do. They're preaching the gospel. And for that, they were thrown into prison. Some of you may or may not have heard about Pastor White up in Canada a few months ago. They're just a faithful pastor. I mean, here COVID's going on. They take their congregation of 30 or 40 outside in a forest to worship. And suddenly helicopters appear. And that pastor in Canada spent 17 days in prison in 2021 because he dared to preach the gospel in an outdoor service. You know, folks, if you really are honest and if you've studied church history, go back to the Reformation, go back to the Anabaptists, go back to John Bunyan in Bedford prison for seven years, and you begin to study it, we're quite a privileged generation of Christians. We, we really are blessed. But when you see Paul's testimony, he says, hey, we suffered before when we were at Philippi. Secondly, he says, we were mistreated. They were mistreated at Philippi. Acts 16 and verse 20, the magistrate said about Paul, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, can I just tell you something that if you intend to live for Jesus Christ, there will be people around you who think you're the troublemaker. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia said several years before his death, a Christian who determines to live according to the Bible will be deemed as a fool in American society. Boy, were those words true. And I'm not trying to get the trophy for being the biggest fool, but I'm here to tell you that if you intend to believe there's one way to heaven, Jesus, if you intend to believe that there's one way to marry a man and a woman, if you intend to hold to what the Bible teaches, they might say about you what they said about Paul. And they said, these guys are troubling our city with this Jesus-only message. And so what I'm simply saying is that sometimes difficulty comes into the life of someone who's trying to stand up for the gospel. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 24, of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered a shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside all those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Look at, Jesus said, 
If you're going to come after me and follow me, you better put your hand to the plow and not look back. There's going to be times when it's difficult in the ministry. I remember going to Lancaster uh, 35 years ago, and I was so excited to uh, set up a little office in our downstairs uh, area. I put my library up there. I had my ordination certificate. I had my college degree, and, and uh, it, was, it was kind of fun getting it set up, and, and we were just getting going. And, and that very night I set all that up on the shelves, someone broke in, threw all the books down, for some reason took my diploma, my ordination certificate, threw it on the ground, stamped on it, poured Kool-Aid on it. And uh, just kind of made a mess of everything. And I, I began to realize, you know, the devil's not happy that we're here in this city. And, and, and I could go on and on. I remember walking out a few days after that on the front porch of the church. And I mean, some guy is a few steps from the porch just, just hitting his girlfriend. I mean, just really, uh, really hurting her. And, and, I, and I, I grabbed the guy and I threw him into the bushes. And I'm trying to break this up and tell him he ought not to be doing that. While I'm doing that, his girlfriend jumped on me and started hitting me. And I, that was one of my early lessons in the fact that sometimes when you help people, it doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go. And I've seen a lot of pastors, they just go, I'm out of this. I see church members do the same. I witnessed, I tithed, I tried to help those people, and all they did was burn me. And if we're not careful, we can get kind of calloused and just kind of start hanging around, but not really being engaged. Paul says, we suffered. He says, we were mistreated. But notice thirdly, they found joy in the Lord. They found joy in the Lord. And I think about joy, and I, I have a mentor by the name of Don Sisk. He's actually part of our staff and member of our church, a great godly man. You've probably heard him before. And, and I look at his life at age 88, and I see the joy he possesses, and I say, Lord, help me to finish that way. Help me to finish in love with you, in love with your church, and in love with Terry, and help me to do it all with joy. And one of the things that I've noticed about long-term missionaries, men and women that have been overseas a long time, like some of our friends right now in Asia, and, and COVID is just going crazy. We've got a friend on a ventilator right now in Manila, and, 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 and a lot of our American missionaries, they're over there in the midst of this sickness and disease and sometimes not a hot shower, and yet they're there 20 and 30 and 40 years. And the reason that they are there so long is because they have discovered joy in the midst of their difficulty. Now listen, the joy is not found in the traffic around them or the little house they live in or the shower or the circumstances. They have discovered that joy is not something that is to be found in possessions like we might think here in Southern California. It's not found in a relationship. Listen, I don't mean to sound weird tonight, but ladies, if you're looking to your husband for joy, you're going to be disappointed. We just, we can't always get it right. And husbands, if you're looking for your wife to just always bring you joy, you're missing the point too. Your job or whatever the case might be, joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul the Apostle and Silas at midnight in that prison, Acts 16 and 25, they sang praises unto God. Why? Because there was someone within them, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And most of us this last year, we've kind of figured out the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. You know, I'm not here to give you all my stories or war stories, but I can tell you that 13 times I stood up to preach last year, and 13 times somebody from the county of Los Angeles walked into our auditorium, took pictures of everyone that was in there, and left us a hefty fine because I dared to have church. There are times like that when you have hard decisions to make as a family, as a pastor. Are, are we going to, what are we going to do with this? Are we just going to shut down obeying God, or are we going to do our best to keep things going? And we have been discovering that to live the Christian life, it's not a playground. There's a battle going on. And Paul was in the middle of that battle, but somehow still had joy. And I'm not belittling the trials, and I'm not belittling people that have been hurt or discouraged in ministry. God forbid that that would happen. But what I am saying is that God wants us to learn how to take those trials and grow in grace and go forward in the work of the Lord. And yet sometimes those difficulties can weigh us down, and sometimes compounding trials can lead to depression. Do you ever read the Psalms and wonder if David might have been depressed sometimes? 
Psalm 42 and 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I just have five little thoughts for you tonight before I leave this thought of having joy and difficulty. And, and these are just, just kind of a little sidebar I threw in the notes for you. Maybe someone needs this tonight, I don't know, because difficult circumstances come. This summer I, I did a lot of reading. I just got off a study uh, type of a sabbatical time, and that's when I get a lot of my reading done and sermon prep ahead of time. I read a trilogy of books about the French Huguenots, and I love to read about those who were persecuted for their faith because it challenges me to stop being a big baby and stand up for the Lord. The French Huguenots were not exactly like us. They were not Baptists per se. They were uh, more followers of Calvin in Geneva, but they believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. In the 1500s, in uh, a time of difficulty when they were being told that they would have to recant their faith in Christ alone and come back to the Catholic Church or die, in 1572, I read of the Bartholomew Massacre when tens of thousands of French Huguenots were martyred for their faith. They were murdered while sleeping in their beds at night simply because they believed that Jesus Christ was the only way to salvation. In the 1600s, King Louis XIV of France revoked the property privileges of all Protestants, mostly aiming at these French Huguenots. And he actually had soldiers come in and, and live in the houses of some of these wealthy French Huguenots. And they would take the married couples out of their bedrooms, and they put soldiers in the bedrooms, and take the children out of their bedrooms, and put soldiers in the bedrooms. And, and they, would they would make these families, these French families, provide food for uh, all of the soldiers. And then if they still would not recant their faith in Christ and sign at the Catholic Church, their recantation, then they would separate husbands and wives. And many husbands were sent to the Caribbean where they became slaves, and uh, many of the wives went to Switzerland and even London where they uh, did laundry work and other such things. And, and many others were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. They fled as far away as New York State, and some went to Charleston, South Carolina, where they were known to help slaves escape the slave trade and find freedom. And those that were remaining in Europe uh, helped those that were uh, Jews and suffering under Hitler to escape from Hitler. And I think about that. How can a people so hurt and so maligned and so burned by their religious experience keep on helping other people? And the reason is the grace of Almighty God and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what your trial is, but what I want you to know tonight is that you can have joy in difficulty because joy comes from the Lord. Let me give you five ways to find it. First, you need to choose to trust God. Just make that choice. The Bible is very clear, Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. But that pastor, he did so and so. But that's not God. And my husband did so and so. He's not God. God is our salvation. We know that all things work together for good. Secondly, choose to wait on the Lord. Choose to wait on the Lord. You know the verse, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, when I have a problem, I want God to do a removing job. I want him to remove that problem. But God many times wants to do an improving job. So he'll allow me to go through the trial. Remember what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12? He said, uh, he said I'm going to let you have this trial for a little while. And Paul said, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities. But Jesus said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, I'm not going to heal you, but I'm going to give you grace. And Paul said, well, then I'll glory in my, in my difficulty so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so we must first of all choose to trust God, then wait on the Lord. His timing is right. Thirdly, choose to rest in His grace as Paul did. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. Fourthly, choose joy. Can I tell you tonight that many times joy is a choice. It's just a choice to trust in God. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's a, it's a, it's a decision that we make. Uh, we count this to be a time where we're going to trust in the Lord. Psalm 146 and 5, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord our God. And then number five, choose growth. Choose growth. How many of you have been or you know a bitter Christian? Let me see your hands. I know lots of them. You know some of them. You're either going to grow better or you're going to grow bitter. 
Let me just encourage you, if you're going through a tough time tonight, maybe even for the faith, maybe because you've tried to witness, let me encourage you to choose to grow. James 1, I love this chapter. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. When I was in Bible college, Brother Doug McMains and I, uh, we both at that time were as dumb as dirt, right, Brother McMains? <laughs> and um, and we're, we're probably just a little bit elevated now, I hope, beyond that. But, boy, you know, when you're a freshman in college, you have a lot to learn. And for me, my, my folks were missionaries over in Korea, so I'm thousands of miles away from home. I didn't know anything about taking care of myself. And one of the big chores for me in Bible college was learning how to do the laundry. And one day I'm in the laundry, and the, the, the girl that eventually became my wife, Terry's on the other side of the laundromat. I'm on this side of the laundromat, and she's smiling at me, and I thought, ho, ho, she's flirting with me. And, uh, you know, she took one look and brought a smile to her face. Why wouldn't it? You know, and I'm thinking these types of thoughts and proud thoughts. Well, I found out later she was watching me as I put things in the washing machine, let them go around a little bit, get some soap on it, got in a hurry and just pull it out, threw it in the dryer, one of, one of the items which was a sport jacket. Now, just for some of you high school students, you don't wash sport jackets in the washing machine. I didn't know that. I found out she wasn't smiling at me. She was laughing at me the entire time. And I was in a hurry. I worked over at the City of Industry at Caterpillar Tractor, and I had to get there on time. And so I just pulled that stuff out of that washing machine. And what I learned was if you pull it out real quickly and throw it in the dryer real quickly and put it on, it really itches because the soap hasn't dissolved yet. And it really doesn't feel good, and it's not really clean yet. And I, I truly believe that what James is talking about when he says, let patience have her perfect work, he's saying, let God do what he wants to do. Don't quit church. Don't stop Bible reading. Don't pull everything out of the washing machine. Let God do his work in your life. And you can have joy in difficult circumstances. So we see from Paul's soul-winning ministry, he's in Philippi, thrown in prison of all things, shamefully entreated, gets out of prison, dusts himself off, has the joy of the Lord. He goes to the next city, Thessalonica, and he preaches the same message with much boldness. And I don't know who I want to encourage tonight. The Lord does. But some of you have had a difficult year or a difficult time. And some of you maybe haven't been out witnessing or tried to witness in a long time. Can I encourage you tonight to dust off just a little bit and seek the joy of the Lord and tell somebody else about Jesus Christ? Because the lost world kind of thinks that's what we do. There might be somebody waiting right now to hear from you. So you can find joy in difficulty. That's the first lesson we learn at Thessalonica. Notice, secondly, you can experience God's power. The second lesson we learn is that as believers, the power is not of us. We're not winning people to ourselves. The power is all of God. Did you see that in verse 2? He says, after we suffered and after we were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold, and I remember this phrase, we were bold in our God to preach the gospel. He was bold in his God. Now, how in the world can we be bold in this culture? Some of you saw on the news, some people Sunday up in Portland, they're having a prayer meeting. Having a prayer meeting. Antifa comes and sprays them with paint and throws rocks and eggs at people having a prayer meeting. This culture can be intimidating. People can look down upon our faith. How can we be bold? Well, the key phrase is to be bold in our God. We must in the first place put our confidence then in the Word of God. Our confidence in the Word of God. Remember, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. The way that people are saved is by the hearing of the Word of God and the conviction of the Spirit of God. I'm not the one that saves them. I'm just called to be the one that declares the gospel. I must declare the gospel. The Holy Spirit will use the gospel. Now, in our culture today, many times we struggle to trust things and to trust sometimes people. Yet we should never have difficulty trusting God's holy Word. My wife and I uh, a few weeks ago, we were up at uh, Mount Rushmore. How many of you have been up to Mount Rushmore before? I had never been to Mount Rushmore. I took this picture on my iPhone. Looks nice on that new screen, doesn't it? Man, I tell you, I, I've been to D.C. many, many times. I've seen most all the monuments there. I love history. I love American history. But I, I'm telling you, when I stood at Mount Rushmore, it honestly took my breath away. I was amazed. I mean, George Washington's nose, believe it or not, is 20 feet tall. Some of you say, that's just slightly larger than my husband. I know, but it's big. I mean, it's, 
Pretty, pretty big thing, that statue. And I'm standing there thinking, wow, Washington gave birth to the nation, and Jefferson expanded the nation, and Roosevelt built the nation, and, and Lincoln fought slavery and tried to rebuild the nation. I'm just having a moment there. And all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, this guy says, ladies and gentlemen, we have a weather report that within five minutes, there's going to be a hailstorm right here in Mount Rushmore. Please find shelter right away. Now, I, I, I told you a moment ago, sometimes we have trouble putting confidence in things. For example, I have very little confidence in the media. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Very little. I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. You know, I just have such confidence. I, I, I have difficulty putting confidence in the media. And because of various experiences in my life, I don't have a ton of confidence in weathermen. You know, they, they get it right some of the time. So when the man said that, I said to Terry, I said, uh, I said honey, I said, they have, there's no way they can say right here in this little half acre section. It's going to hail in five minutes. I mean, there's because no, I mean, I was taking pictures. I was wanting to take a picture of her, and and I just I was so enjoying that moment. And Terry's usually real sweet and submissive, you know. I said, "Go on over there, honey. Let me take your picture." She said, "No, I'm going to go find shelter." <laughs> so she went. She she found shelter. And I was just I was just insistent. I was standing there taking pictures when the hail started. And I I have never ever seen hail like that in my entire life. We had to go to the gift store, and we had to go in there and uh, hide from all of the hail. These are some of the hails I picked up off the ground after we got out uh, uh, from the gift store. I mean, it was quite an experience. Cars were dented, you know, people were injured. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And, and sometimes in life, we just struggle to listen to an instruction and then to respond accordingly. But I want you to read a verse with me tonight. Notice this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Because it pertains to putting our confidence in the Bible. And you'll notice it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, notice this, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Isn't that wonderful? They didn't receive it as the word of men. Like, well, I'll see what I'll want to do with this. Maybe I'll do with it like the weatherman. Maybe I'll listen, maybe I won't. The reason they became a model church is because when the Bible was preached, they received it as the Word of God. And I know your pastor very well. I know how I feel sometimes after I preach. Sometimes I might preach a message and feel like, did that even connect? And oftentimes this is what I say. If there was enough Bible in that message, it did something good because God promises that it will. And I just want to tell you that when you witness to someone, if you share the Word of God, it will have its effect. Look at Isaiah 55 and verse 11. It says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. If you share a verse with a friend, if you give a gospel tract, if you quote John 3.16, you may feel like you failed, but God's Word never fails. Keep sowing the seed of the Word of God. Put your confidence in the Word of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. The power is found in the Word of God. And secondly, rely upon the Holy Spirit of God. Rely on the Holy Spirit of God. When I was a young man and even a young pastor, people would have these soul-winning seminars. They'd kind of give you these verses to say, and, and it was fine, and it actually was somewhat helpful, but there was a point where you could begin to rely upon the presentation training more than the Holy Spirit. And folks, when you're witnessing, it's so important that you're asking the Holy Spirit to use you, to fill you, to guide you, and to remember that He is the one who says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon me, uh, upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The Spirit of the living God took up residence in your life when you got saved, and God says He will give you power in the time of witnessing. So boldness then, in the biblical sense, when Paul said we were bold in our God, Boldness in the biblical sense is not a personality trait. In other words, you might say, well, I don't have the gift of gab like so-and-so. That's not what it's about. In the spiritual sense, boldness is not a personality trait. Boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat, need, or opportunity. Bo I, look at I've seen little tiny ladies that, that might weigh 100 pounds or something stand and boldly proclaim Christ to someone. I, I've seen people that had a speech impediment 
who were able to bring conviction to someone else because they used the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need a boldness in this day in which we live. And I want you to understand the corporate world and the criminal world and the atheist in this world, they are no match for the Bible in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, they might laugh it off, but you do not know how they might be awakened at night by what you said. There was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was watching Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church. He's watching as the stones came against him, as his bones were breaking, as the blood was being shed. And as he took off to the, on the road to Damascus, the light shone from heaven, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What were the pricks? The pricks were the message of Stephen and the life of Stephen. And your message and your life can still be used of God to touch someone else's life. And so be bold in your God. First, you can find joy in difficulty. Second lesson, you can still experience God's power. It's still available through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And then notice finally as we close, we must declare the gospel in sincerity. We must declare it in sincerity. There are two cans. You can find joy. You can experience power. And here's one must. You must declare it in sincerity. Now, very quickly for the sake of time, notice verse 3. He says, our exhortation, talking about his witness, was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Now, how many of you know that the world is always looking for a phony? And so I want you to note, first of all, that we must have right motives. When you're witnessing to someone, it's not to get a badge from the Sunday school. It's not to tell others about it. You're doing it as under the Lord. And how many of you believe tonight that God sees the heart? And look, at, I, I, I founded a Christian school 30 years ago, a Bible college, uh, I guess uh, 20, uh, 27 years ago, and, and we have institutional guidelines, and I think that's fine. I, I think it's fine to teach young men how to look like young men, young ladies how to look like young ladies, and I, I believe in having, having decorum and, and such things. But do you know one of the dangers of all of that is that young people can feel like the Christian life and maybe even the blessing of the Christian life is in how they look. And I, I want to tell you something, that there are people that haven't figured all that stuff out. They just have a sincerity of heart, and God blesses their life because God is looking at the heart. You remember uh, when Samuel was looking for the king of Israel, and he thought it would be Eliab, David's oldest brother. And, and the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. The, the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And again, thank God for people who've been transformed and it shows and they're external and all of that. But what I'm saying is when you're witnessing, make sure that you have a pure heart before God in the process. Paul mentioned some things quickly. He says he was not deceitful, meaning he was not giving out doctrinal error. It wasn't a game to him. He was not handling the Word of God deceitfully, 2 Corinthians 4.2. He says, secondly there, nor was he unclean. You see, many of the ministries, uh, uh, many of the uh, worship houses, rather, at Thessalonica were places of iniquity. Galatians 5.19 says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. It's a heinous situation when some spiritual leader is involved in some kind of abuse or infidelity like that. And Paul said, look it, you know that's not what our motive was. Our heart was right. Our motive was right. We were there to get the gospel out. We were not deceitful. We were not unclean. Notice thirdly, he says, nor was it in guile. In other words, it wasn't a game. He wasn't just playing religion. And then in verse 6, he says, not as pleasing men. Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I try to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What he's teaching us is that as we witness, our motive is to please the Lord and help this person to know the Lord. It's not about what people think of us. It's not about what we get. It's not about those things. Notice not only right motives, but secondly, there was a real stewardship in his life. Notice this as we close. Verse 4, he says, as we were allowed to be of God to be put in trust with the gospel. You ever stop and think about that? I don't know how many people there are on the planet. I guess seven billion now. Do you ever just stop and think, Lord, I'm sure glad you saved me. Do you ever just take a moment to be privileged to have a Bible and to know Jesus? And 
to think about this verse which says that he has put us in trust with the gospel. In other words, there are people that haven't even heard it yet, and God says, here, I entrust you with this. I want you to do something with this. I want you to declare this. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Uh, when I was a kid, I would work on my grandfather's farm out in Colorado, and sometimes even right when I was starting college, this is me on a John Deere tractor, probably about 19, I don't know, 78 or something. By the way, look at all that hair, would you? I just want some of you single girls to think about this for a minute. You can marry a man with hair like that and wind up with something like this, so just keep that in mind, okay? And my uncle has a large farm back there, I don't know, two, 3,000 acres, and he would entrust me sometimes with an 80 or a 160, and sometimes it would be to plant a field, sometimes to cultivate a field. And as I look back on it, he was entrusting me greatly because farmers get one paycheck a year at harvest, that's it. And if I messed up, it could have affected his bottom line. What if I would have taken that tractor and thought, cool, I'm going to do circle eights in the bean field. I'm going to pop some wheelies. This is awesome. And forgot to plant the seed. I would have truly hindered the harvest of pinto beans on his farm. And I think about the fact that God has entrusted you with the gospel. And I think about how many Christians are playing games with the gospel. They're doing circle eights, they're popping wheelies, they're, they're going to church, not going to church, they're doing their thing, they got their excuse, they got their reason, but God says, wait a minute, I didn't give this to you to squander it. Notice that in verse 4, he says, you were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. This is a privilege to have the gospel. So Paul says, since I was privileged with it, so I speak the gospel. He recognized his charge. The gospel ministry is not a toy. 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Notice this phrase, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Football season's coming. How many of you have ever watched a football player? They'll, they'll give him the football, and he'll run, and he'll get down to about the five or ten, and he'll take that football and start taunting the defense with it. Have you ever seen them do that? You know what I've seen a few times? I've seen guys drop the ball. How many Christians, they've been saved, they understand that this is committed to them, it's their responsibility to pass it on to somebody, and they drop the ball. May we remember tonight that this is a sacred charge. And may we speak the truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It was his heart's desire to help others know this gospel message. As we close, notice verse 10, ye are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Verse 13, for this cause we thank God uh, who without, without ceasing because you received the word of God which ye heard from us. You see, it always comes back to a group of people who haven't lost sight of the real mission, and the real mission is declaring the gospel, and it's wonderful to be a part of it. You know, back at last October, we had a missions conference, and to be honest with you, that was back when all of us pastors were like, do we do anything? Should we just close shop? What do you do? And the Lord just put on my heart, go ahead and have the missions conference, and I got to be honest with you, the attendance was terrible. And there, there's, you know, we have a very large auditorium. It'll seat around 3,000 people. And I think we had about 300 people in there. And, but I felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do. And one night, a young missionary, you may support him, Brother Portillo from Nicaragua, he stood into our platform. And he's a young man. He came to West Coast Baptist College from, uh, from Australia. He went from El Salvador to Australia to America to Nicaragua. And he got up in our pulpit, and he began to tell about this second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, only after Haiti. And he began to weep. And there have been two or three times recently prior to that conference when I'd called him and said, you better come home. There's a lot of shooting, a lot of angst in the country. And he just said, no. He said, Pastor, he literally said to me, right now with the bullets flying in our neighborhood, people are more receptive to the gospel than ever. And uh, he, he told some stories to the church. And so I said to the church, I said, folks, let's, let's take an offering tonight for Brother Portillo for the work in Nicaragua. And uh, that night, I saw one of the miracles of our 35 years. Our church family, one guy said, I'll, I'll give $10, I'll give 100 and people started just raising and giving. The church gave $110,000 to him that night, one night. A couple days ago, he sent me this slide. I want you to see it. This is a building in Nicaragua 
that will hold nearly 1,000 people and it's going up at this very moment. And what is it? It is a man full of the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, continuing the missionary journeys, and we all have a part of that. And I don't know about you, whether it's missions or whether it's locally evangelizing, there's nothing greater to be a part of. You're not going to go to heaven and say, boy, I'm glad I worked on those computers and built that airplane, but you will say, I'm sure glad I served the Lord. I'm glad that people were saved. You see, this young man, Luis Portillo, he has found joy in difficulty. He has experienced God's power. He's just declaring the gospel in sincerity, and God is blessing his ministry. Folks, as we sit here tonight, there's an amazing campaign going on in America. One billion dollars has been sent in the last six months. One billion dollars has been spent to declare the need for vaccinations. My son-in-law was at a Dodgers game the other night, sitting in the nosebleed section. Somebody came up and said, hey, if you'll get vaccinated, you can go sit right on the very front row of the ballpark. And lots of people took him up on it and did that. And I'm certainly not here to speak for or against vaccination. That's not my job. I'm not a doctor. I'm just simply illustrating how many of you have noticed there are evangelists everywhere for vaccination. Every news outlet, Newsweek, Time, everybody is promoting vaccination. That's fine. That's wonderful. That's their job because two million people have died in the last several months, 16, 18 months of COVID-19. We understand that, yet I just want to remind you that there are 156,000 people a day on this planet dying without Christ. There were 56 million people who died last year without Jesus Christ. And so while they go about evangelizing for the medical needs of this world, we are called to proclaim and declare the gospel for the spiritual needs of this world. And if they believe their message is urgent, how much more should we believe that our message is urgent? And may we declare the gospel. Let God give you joy in the difficult times. Let God give you power through His Spirit and His Word. And remember that with a pure heart, just seeking to please the Lord, you are a powerful tool in His hands. And I pray that God will bless and use you to that end. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.